Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, go to PCAPaintEd.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all you non-members out there, sign up for our free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the Apple Store and Google Play. In today's podcast, we feature an episode from Ask a Painter Live with Nick Slavik. In this episode, Nick talks about job costing, the most fundamental thing you can do to improve your business, lower stress, and serve your clients, apprentices, and craftspeople better. Good morning, Instagram. Good morning, Facebook. Um, This is a fun, fun, fun uh, time of the year. So uh, it's interesting because I'm a loudmouth on social media. Uh, A lot of people get a hold of me when they have deep philosophical questions about their business. And no time... uh, during the year, people get more philosophical than December and January. Typically, the natural flow, the organic flow of work slows down and people have the bandwidth and the mind bandwidth to sort of think about themselves and their business and things. And then they start having these questions. Uh, so uh, the increase in, in DMs, emails, messages, things like that uh, is always great in December and January. And because of that, I respond to it and I put out a whole bunch of content based on what people want. I am Nick Slavic. I am the proprietor of the Nick Slavic Painting and Restoration Company. I'm also the host of this show, Ask a Painter Live. It's a weekly live Facebook show where I use uh, my 29 years of experience in this craft uh, to answer any of your questions. Uh, 14 years as a business owner, a trades entrepreneur. Um, We're going to go through a very special show today. I've gotten this cool rhythm of uh, kind of the start of every year going into a Master the Basics series where... um, Go through some fundamental stuff, spreadsheets, screen shares, things like this. I will not be restoring a Victorian home in the next four weeks. I will likely not be in my spray booth teaching the finer techniques. Um, There is a cabinet and trim show coming up where I do my treatise on cabinet and trim. But now for the next three or four shows, what I'm going to do is a series called Mastering the Basics. The most basic thing you need to master is job costing. So today we're going to devote this to job costing. And as always, ask any questions, put them all in the comments. Um, after I go through this stuff, I'll, I'll be watching this stuff and answering questions as we go. But what I will also be doing is uh, answering any of your questions after this. So if you want to talk oil primer, if you want to talk brushes, if you want to talk anything else, running a business, uh, taking care of your people, taking care of your clients, we're going to do that too. So we are loaded for bear. I got a brand new updated uh, mini master's class, Mastering the Basics Job Costing. We got uh, Wonder Pup Sig. Laying under the table, uh, the conference room table, we got the fake fire going. So um, before we jump in, though, guys, you know I will mention the PCA, the Painting Contractors Association. Um, I got three messages yesterday asking me explicitly, what is the value to me? Why should I join? And I am not a company man, right? Contractors. I will be very explicit with you and say this. If you pay your membership dues to the PCA and do nothing else, you have wasted your money. It is completely useless if you do that. If you pay your membership dues there, absorb all the content, take the standards, uh, the in-depth, the industry world-leading craft training and use it with your people. If you interact with the members there, go to the in-person events, your life will be changed, but it's up to you. There are two things that I believe that make people successful, not only in personal life, professional life, but in in trades businesses, even painting businesses, is the access to information and the access to grit. Information is all there. The Ask a Painter live show basically over the last five and a half years has given you every single thing you need to be successful, not only in the craft, but in the business. We've pushed the boundaries of every possible thing you can do. That's all free. The information's out there. Now, do you have enough grit to actually take it in, use it, and do something with it? That's the big thing. So here you go. At the end of the show, uh, I will give you my email address, and you can have the template, my masterful template that I've massaged over 14 years to give to you. Now, my challenge to you is, do you have enough grit to actually use it? If I'm being honest with you, most people do not. I give out my templates, almost everything in my business. The vast majority of them never get opened, never get used. And then people continue to have the same problems. So do you have grit? Grit 
the definition of grit is can you put your finger and your mind on a superordinate goal decades out into the future? And can you sacrifice or change something now a little bit and do that consistently in order to reach that goal? I would argue grit is the key for job costing. It's not my template. Lord knows it's just a simple math problem. You can do this on a back of a sheet of paper, which I did for years. You can do it on a crazy uh, spreadsheet. There's apps that'll do it for you. But the problem is nothing gets done for you. You must do it yourself. Even if the information is compiled for you, you need to digest that information and feel that information to make good decisions. So, all right, folks, we're going to do this. If you want to be around hundreds of people who share my ethos, um, my love of this craft, my love of trades, business, entrepreneurship, the PCA Expo is the place for you. Um, I'm going to be on at least two presentations and they are going to be barn burners. <laughs> I'm inviting some of my favorite people in the industry to sit on a panel and I'm basically going to grill them about grit, superordinate goals. Uh, limiting beliefs, things I'm going to, we are going to talk about the things that actually stop us from getting the things done we want to do. I've spoken enough. If you're interested, I will have links in here. A lot of times I'll have to get in here after the show and put links to all this stuff. Uh, but I will do that. If you want me in your area for a master's class in 2022, all you got to do is raise your hand, get a hold of me, get a hold of the PCA, and we can set it up for you. I can bring this information, but in a day-long course where we actually interact with each other, do these things together in your area. So that's all we got to do. All right, people, here we go. This is it. Uh, the super unsexy, the super mundane, the super non-interesting job costing. But arguably, this is uh, the most important single thing that you can do for your business. So here we go. I'm going to get rid of my get rid of that. We are going to screen share. Boom. All right. So um, if my audio drops out, it's because I have to switch over to a screen share and I'm going through a, um, a, uh, a, a presentation here. Uh, just comment uh, if it does. You people on IG, if you want to actually see the screen share that I'm doing, you're going to have to go to Facebook, but certainly you can always email me later and we can uh, we can get this done too. So, all right, folks, here we go. Mastering the basics, job costing. Wet my whistle a little bit here. Okay. What is job costing? Um, <laughs> this is, it's one of the simplest things ever, but nobody does it. It's tracking material and labors for each job. Why? This is the foundational piece of data for your company. Every single thing you've ever wanted to know can basically be answered in some way by this. Um, you think about, uh, am I making any money? Am I estimating the correct price? Am I, how do you schedule? How do you, how do you know what to expect from your painters, from your leadership team? How do you compensate them? Every single thing, every friction point, Every problem that we experience in business can honestly be solved in some way by job costing. Now, again, do you have enough grit to actually go through and job cost every time? I'm going to walk through each little bit of this stuff. This template, this blue and green template that you see on the screen here is actually the template that I will give to you. It's something that I've massaged over the years. I have worked out almost all the kinks. Um, it has got, uh, it started off very simple. When I started job costing, it was a paper estimate. I would flip that paper estimate over and I would just say, here's the revenue for the job. Here's how much materials I use in dollars. Here's how many hours I put in and I got a revenue per hour. And technically that's job costing. And I could rate every single job on a five gallon bucket outside of somebody's house, just sitting there turning that thing over. But here's the deal. We're going to walk through this template bit by bit. And you guys let me know if you have any questions. Let me just make sure we got Rodrigo Francosi. Nick, will this work in Montana? <laughs> Job costing works everywhere, people. This is not some weird Nick Slavic Minnesota thing. This is the fundamentals of every single business. Target does this. Best Buy does this. Google does this. Uh, Elon Musk does this. This is a fundamental thing that all real businesses do. This is not a paint business thing. This is not a trades business thing. The tracking of material and labor inputs for each project is the baseline bit of foundation to see if you're doing well and treating your clients well and your employees well. This is awesome. Uh, also, Jay Osborne, come to Vermont. 
I was there last year. I will gladly come again, get a hold of Noah Cantor. Uh, you two get together and we'll get a master's class going again there too. So, okay, back to my screen share. Again, this is a grit thing, not a technology thing. If you think there's a magic app that is going to automatically do this for you, it will not. There are things that do some baseline collecting for you, but you need to hold accountable the people and the things that collect this for you. You need to trust, but verify and consistency wins. If you job cost once a year at the end of the year, you might as well not job cost. It's already done. Your fate is sealed. If you do it every quarter, your fate is sealed wrong way. I would argue, even if you do it every month, it's not good enough. We do every job and then com uh, compile it and review it every week. That's our rhythm. Consistency wins doing it every day, every job, every week. Um, this allows you to make a, if you review every week, it allows you to make 52 changes a year over 52 weeks and constantly improve. All right. Materials is the first thing. Um, I, what I want people to take away is not the biggest pushback I get is, well, Nick, do I have to measure out every inch of tape? Do I have to measure out every ounce of spackle and putty and roller cover? And I will say, stop, stop what you're doing right there. I don't even track sundries. You can, right? But the problem is we don't have enough time. We don't have this huge dearth of time that we have to uh, pick from, from running a business and taking care of our people. So one of my mantras, the things that I stick by is do not let perfection stand in the way of really damn good. So I don't track sundries. Historically, I've looked back at, through all my records and it's usually a percent, a percent and a half of all my revenue goes to sundries and it's been consistent. So now moving on. If you think a roll of tape or putty or plastic or a 3M hand mask is standing between you and profitability, you are 100% wrong. Do not care about sundries. Buy the most expensive stuff, use as much as you want. Guess what? It'll go from 1% to 2%. Moving on. Labor, on the other hand, is 40 to 50%. So guess where you should spend your time? So what I do is uh, when you job cost, you want to tr accurately track the cost of materials. Now, accurate means you need the full cost of materials. So not only your discounted price for a can of paint, but you also have to take into a tax. And in Minnesota and probably 23 other states, there's a thing called paint care. It's a tax. It's maybe a dollar or $2 per gallon that goes towards the uh, safe, economical, uh, and eco-friendly disposal of paint. So how to get your act actual number for a can of duration home uh, mat, you actually just I, I years ago, I just went to my Sherwin-Williams and said, hey, ring me out a mock invoice for a can of duration home mat. And it's got tax and it's got paint care and whatever amount is at the bottom. That's the actual thing that you job cost. If you only take the discounted price per gallon of paint, you're not going to capture the full cost of materials. So make sure you do that. Um, and again, sundries, I don't really worry about it um, on this template, which you guys see here. Uh, I don't know if you can see my pointer or not, but uh, we track um, on this actual uh, template, we track, this is the coding. And uh, over the years, we've actually made it a little more complex where we have a dropdown menu where you click the dropdown and you can pick cover state, scuff X, duration mat, things like that. Uh, and then uh, how many gallons, the price per gallon, and then it'll automatically total it up. Now, the interesting thing is um, we've even got in there and changed the price for five gallon versus one gallon because five gallon price per gallon goes down a little bit. So you can get as complex as you want, but honestly, the most important thing right now is to just do it. Just do it, people. That's it. What percentage of profit do you target? Uh, so we all have to, uh, from Instagram, you have to be very careful about profit because everybody talks about profit differently. We're going to talk about gross profit, which is, you know, the accounting of this. In an entire business, I would like between 15 and 20% true profit after I pay myself. That's what we're going for. Uh, we'll talk about gross profit later. All right. Moving on, labor costs. This is a super tricky one. And uh, again, 40 to 50% of all the money you're, of all your expenses is going to be labor. So pay very close attention to this. You need to accurately account for which person did it, which wage, and how many hours they use. Now, in the end of this, we have a person. So we actually input everybody's, um, if you're looking at our screen share here, we have everybody's name on a drop-down menu. And when you click their name, it automatically brings up their wage. Now, obviously you're not gonna get this information. This is private information. I've scrubbed this from the template I'll give you, but if you want to, uh, we use this for tracking jobs. Um, so we have person, their wage, how many hours, total hours that that person did, 
uh, the wages that we paid them. And then there's a column called burden. Burden was something I was introduced to a couple of years ago. Uh, that was a huge flaw in my job costing. Burden is this. It's FICA, Medicare, FICA, Social Security, FUDA, and SUDA. Um, those are all the added expenses of employing humans. If you don't take that into account, it's likely your job costing is going to be off 25%, give or take. You could be making horrible decisions about your business and your people if you don't take that into account. Now, I get people then pushing back saying, well, Nick, how do I accurately track all that? That's a lot of work. Well, number one, it's on your payroll. And number two, honestly, here's a trick for you. I estimate burden at 25% of wages. So if you pay somebody $10 an hour, it's likely it costs $12.50 an hour in order for them to do that. If you pay somebody $20 an hour, it probably costs you $25 an hour. I have tracked the actual burden for years and it's between 24 and 26%, honestly. So when I do my job costing, we put in a, a straight 25% because we don't want to have to go through and make those crazy calculations. On another show, another time, I'll actually show you how we calculate actual burden and then use it in there. But for now, don't let perfection stand in the way of really damn good. So it's important to get all these things in here. Um, trying to think what else we need for that. Oh, uh, another thing I use this for is uh, we keep track of who's on what job and how many uh, hours they put on each job because this last week we did GSRs, goal setting and review meetings for every single person in the company. We did 113 jobs last quarter, give or take. I went through every 113 hour, uh, 113 jobs and I figured out who touched what job. I separated them out and then we could start looking at the job costing uh, and the profitability of let's say bills jobs like that. And we can find a trend line, we can find averages. And when we give people raises, one of the standards they have to meet is a certain revenue per hour production and, and quality standard. And that's exactly how we do it. We have a data-based discussion instead of a feelings-based discussion. For me, when you touch people's pay, it's a very personal thing and it can get very emotional. To have some data to base that on is a great thing. So I use this for that. Next one. All right, let me just check into Facebook here. Oh, here we go. Don Mendez, uh, do you charge separate taxes for painting service? No. Uh, this is something that 14 years ago I said, hey, do we have to charge tax for this stuff? My accountant said no, and I haven't done it, and we don't do it. So um, <laughs> John Milkovich, trust but verify. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. Uh, uh, Bruce Bourgeois, I use all subcontractors. What is a good split? This is completely up to you. So in my company, we want to keep at about 45% gross profit. So what I found is that anywhere between 40 and 45% of the entire revenue for the project is given to the subcontractors. Uh, and we provide all paint, all coatings, but they provide all sundries because, uh, uh, you know, they all do different stuff. We found that to be a pretty good split. And then we can control the, um, the quality of the materials and the quantity of the materials as well, too. So Mike McGrath, how's it going, my friend? Um, oh, Anthony, uh, Ashley, his wife wants to know what app you use, uh, to track, uh, employees time on each job. Uh, we use, okay, here's the thing. We use an app called time station. It is probably not the best, but honestly, I started using it five, six, seven, eight years ago, and it's never failed us once, and I've never looked again. There's probably things that do things better or different or whatever, but honestly, it's never failed me. It's super cheap, and honestly, I think for you know five to 10 employees, it might even be free, give or take. So time station is a thing that we use. You can punch in and out from your phone. Now, Anthony, just like, uh, uh, just like Mr. Milkovich said, trust but verify. Punch in and punch out is not always 100% accurate. I will tell you this, in the past, we have had fluctuations in our job costing in accuracy between zero and 30%, which means sometimes 30% of our hours do not get logged on our job costing, which throws the job costing off and makes it look way better than it actually is. At one point, our job costing got so good in, in the company, it didn't pass my sniff test. And I said, all right, guys, listen, we're good, but we shouldn't be that good every job. And I walked through and I compared payroll uh, to actual uh, time station and then our, our job costing hours. And I found a 30% difference in that area. So what happened was people were not being malicious, right? They weren't just deleting hours. But then we had some stuff where it's like, well, I was driving from the job to the shop to work on that particular job. And that's drive time. That's not paint time. So I didn't log it. But 
that drive time is in service of that job. Or I was cleaning my sprayer, so I didn't log it towards that job. Well, I would argue cleaning your sprayer only has to happen because of that job. So now what we do, this is a perfect system, which is there's not a perfect app. We have somebody named Carly, who is our coordinator, our master coordinator. Every single day she shows up and she verifies, here's how many hours were on payroll yesterday. Here's how many hours were on jump sheets. And there's basically about a zero to 3% difference now because she verifies. If something doesn't match, she talks to those painters and say, okay, you're missing half an hour yesterday. Where was it? What was it? How do we do? That's what makes accurate job costing. I'm going to get into something a little bit later. We use job costing to actually bonus our people. If there's a 30% discrepancy in job costing, you're touching somebody's pay that's going to be 30% off. Very important you get this stuff accurate. So we use human energy to, to verify, trust but verify that this stuff is good. So, okay, now how to job cost? Judging job success. The reason we do this is to figure out this job was a good, this job was a bad, and if it's bad, what can we do? Something like that. All right. So revenue per hour is one way of judging job success. It's simple, but it's flawed. You take the revenue, you divide by the total hours. It'll tell you how much revenue per hour you have created on that job. Uh, the goal in an, in an average larger company is $55 revenue an hour. When I was a single person painter, I would want, if it was just me out on a job site, a master craftsperson, I would want it to be double or triple that uh, based on my efficiency and, and quality standards. The good part about this, it's quick and easy. You can do this in your head. Um, the flaw is it's not accurate based on somebody who's very, uh, somebody who's an apprentice who makes a lower wage and somebody who's a master craftsperson makes a higher wage. It's not taking into account their actual rate of pay. It's only taking into account the hours they work. So it's a quick sniff test, but it's a tiny bit flawed. You can see some big fluctuations. 50 hours of time from a master person in my company takes into account or it costs a hell of a lot more than 50 hours of somebody who's brand new to my company. But the revenue per hour calculation will be exactly the same based on if they both put 50 hours on a job, that revenue per hour, they still produce the same revenue per hour, but one costs you a heck of a lot more. The idea is a master person will have way less hours because they're better at it, things like that. So revenue per hour, we track it. You can see here in this column, uh, we actually uh, use conditional formatting and you'll have this on this template too. If it's green, it's met our standards of at least 55 plus. If it's red, it means it has not met the standards of 55 plus. So we, we track revenue per hour, but it's not what we live and die by. It's not what we promote or dismiss people by. Judging job, job success, gross profit. This is the big one. And this took me, if I'm going to be honest, it took me about a year between when I was introduced to it to when I like felt it inside my body and when I knew that these numbers meant. Before we dive into this, I'm going to just get back into Facebook here. Let's see what we got. All right, Salvatore, if I work on the job myself, do I include my pay and labor costs? Absolutely. Every single person who touches a paintbrush gets logged in there. If you work alone, I used to give myself a rate of pay of $30 an hour uh, when I was in the field because that's kind of what I figured I'd have to pay somebody if they were an employee uh, to do what I do. Now, typically, uh, for somebody that produced at my rate, um, I'd probably have to charge a little bit more, but $30 an hour is a, probably a good rate for somebody who really knows what they're doing, the business owner, you're incentivized, things like that. You have to sign yourself something uh, in there. Anthony, we are using that, but can't figure out how to set up where they log into individual jobs. Yes, Anthony, uh, that is uh, that is not something we do with TimeStation. TimeStation is just a punch in, punch out, compile payroll stuff. Um, we actually use, Anthony, something called a jump sheet, which I probably have shared with you in the past, but it's an actual work order for the job. And people have to actually log their hours into that individual Google spreadsheet uh, on individual jobs. I know people use um, uh, all sorts of other apps and software to do this stuff. The problem is, even if you have your employees, uh, apprentices, craftspeople, punch in and punch out of specific jobs, that is not and end all and be all. You must get in there and verify that it was actually done. Not because people are bad or malicious, but because it has to be accurate and people aren't that good at being consistent and accurate with that stuff. Or there's questions. You haven't trained them well enough. Things like that. Oh, Noah Cantor, my man, Anthrogy Painting and Advice from a Young Contractor podcast. Do you ever do across the board incremental price increases to reflect increasing costs of living, materials, inflation, et cetera? No. 
actually. So in a way, yes, Noah, of course. But um, the way that I think about increasing price in my company is usually pretty unsatisfying, which is the theory of how we want to do this is I want to price my jobs as expensive as they can to have enough people say yes to them so that the company that I run based on where we are now and our growth expectations will have a full schedule. Those are weird economic variables. So I don't care what the cost of living is. I don't care what inflation is. I don't care if there's a housing crisis. I don't care if there's a labor crisis. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to charge as much as I can for my work to the point where I can still provide value to the client and I can keep my business running. Here's an economic truth, Noah. If I was a single person painter right now, I would probably double or triple all of my prices because I wouldn't need that much work. I'd only need 50 jobs a year, give or take. And honestly, if I shut off all my marketing and I was a single person painter again, I would probably have 10 times more demand than I could handle. So in the laws of econ economics, supply and demand, um, you don't have a very big supply of what you offer. So the demand's going to go higher. And then you increase your prices uh, to do that. Uh, guys like uh, you know Noah and, and Jason the Painter from Minneapolis, you guys are in a really unique situation where you can probably charge two, three, four x what my company does because the organic demand will always outpace what you guys can produce. Honestly, right now, the organic demand is outpacing what my company can do with 35 people. But we, have, uh, we're, we run under the decent human being theory where we have a whole bunch of people who are new to the trades. So we need to keep a pipeline full of work and uh, kind of bread and butter work for them so that they can get the reps in and still provide value to our clients. So, okay, let's go back to, I love the questions, guys. God, it's so awesome. All right, gross profit. If this stuff all looks like algebra to you or whatever, I can tell you this. It took me a year to digest this stuff. Start, you'll figure it out. These numbers will all make sense sooner or later. I have used conditional formatting, this red and green stuff on my template to basically tell you if you don't understand the specific numbers or the words like gross profit, there's going to be something on there that says green, good, red, bad. So go by that. But it took me a year to get this stuff. I'm going to go through IG one more here. Uh, Deconfo, uh, do your employees fill out your paperwork while on the clock? Absolutely. We actually have two times in the day where they we physically send out a reminder for them to stop what they're doing and fill that stuff out. It's so important. Our people are so headstrong and they're so gung-ho. A lot of the times they'll just head down throughout the day, take care of our clients, do the work. And we actually have to remind them like, hey guys, you know, we appreciate all that stuff, but we also do need your hours and materials for the day so we can keep track of this stuff. So yeah. Absolutely. If they're doing this stuff, they're doing it on the books uh, for me. So gross profit. Here's a gross profit. People use a lot of these terms wrong, but basically it's what do you have to contribute to this job in a percentage wise to get something back out of it? Or how much, how much percentage are your costs in a job versus your uh, profit in a job? Um, so basically the calculation is you take 100%, which is your revenue, you labor percentage plus material percentage, that's your expenses in a job. You minus that from 100% and that'll give you gross profit. The goal in my company is 45%. Um, labor goal is 40 and material goal is 15%. The two most important, I was talking with uh, Lauren Fink, who's a super high speed, um, young uh, upstart contractor that I met at a master's class yesterday. And she gave me a great piece of feedback, which is, you know, honestly, Nick, uh, in starting off this business, there's so much going on the biggest thing she took away from my master's class is those two numbers, which is keep labor to 40%, keep materials to 15%. And you know what? Figure it out after there. But that's the baseline. If those two numbers are out of whack, you don't even worry about overhead. Just worry about material and labor for a job. The pro, the upside of, of uh, gross profit job costing is it's the most accurate way to judge a job, honestly. The flaw, higher and lower based on company size. So we use a we use a standard of 45% in my company. If I was a single person painter again, I would want that to be up. I would want that to be at least 50%, maybe 55%, maybe even higher, depending on how, how much experience and how good you are with something like that. So you can see on my template here, I, I've highlighted gross profit, material, and labor percentage. On this template, when you punch in your person's name, their rate of pay, and how many hours they put on a job, it'll not only total it for you, it'll do burden for you, then it'll automatically calculate the percentage of labor on that particular job. Uh, it'll go green, it'll go red, so you can track it. So 
good way to do it. Problem solving with job costing. Because again, why are we doing all this math? Why are we doing all this stuff if we can't actually figure out or, or solve some problems with it? So number one, I don't feel like I'm making any money. Unless you have some data to prove you are or you aren't, that's a feelings-based discussion on a data-based problem. So here's the deal. If you don't feel like you're making money, start job costing. I can guarantee you, you're going to have a come to Jesus moment, which we did this last uh, in 2020, you know, when the pandemic shut the whole world down, we had a series of master's classes with a curated set of people here where we had uh, people in this war room where we went over this and everybody brought jobs here and we job costed them together. And when we sat at this table, I universally heard a few things, which is I'm the best. I charge more than anybody else. I have specific clients who look for me and will pay more and wait more for me. When we did the job costing, we realized all together that almost everybody at the table, they probably were the best. They were not charging the most. They were actually undercharging. Most people only produced revenue at a rate where they basically created a $20 an hour job for themselves. So it feels good to have a good client. It feels good to have good work. But if you don't have the data to then say, hey, that was also a successful job, or you know what? You broke yourself for that client. You did twice the amount of work that that job needed. You didn't make any money, but you made a happy client. Sometimes you can walk away from that saying that was a huge success, but come tax time, you basically earned $21,000 that year, give or take. So very important to have the data plus the feelings. Now, here's the deal. If you don't feel you're making money, you're going to look at material and you're going to look at labor. You look at materials. If you're above 15%, you're not accurately using materials or estimating materials. I will tell you this <laughs> from experience. If you think paint or tape or spackle or plastic is keeping you from being profitable, there's a 99.8% chance you are grossly wrong. I, if I could give young contractors, young craftspeople, any advice, it would be listen, stop worrying about materials. Materials do not matter. Buy the best stuff, buy a bunch of it, and then work on labor. That is honestly the best advice I can give anybody. People fixate on the price of a gallon of paint and then assign um, evil status to Benjamin Moore, to Sherwin-Williams, to PPG, to, to Home Depot, to Lowe's, because if you think about it, nobody really job costs their own labor. Nobody tracks their own labor. If you had to come, if you had a come to Jesus moment, if you had to look at those prices of your labor, uh, of what you actually generated per hour, just like you look at a price of a gallon of paint, you would probably throw up into a trash can most of the time. Now, there's people out there doing very good work and killing it, but most people have never done that calculation and they have a false sense of what they're actually doing. The job costing for materials is already done for you. There's a price on a gallon of paint. There's a bill from Sherwin-Williams or Benjamin Moore or PPG or Home Depot or Lowe's. You have to pay that. That's a set thing. They do the job costing for you. They make you come to terms with these numbers. Most people never sit down and do their own labor rate. So I will tell you this. Stop worrying about materials, people. Just stop. If you went out there and bought the most expensive stuff and bought twice as much for every job, guess what? It's still not going to make a real difference. And it'll move you a couple points every, every year, a couple percentage every year. It doesn't matter. Labor is where it's at. So if you're above 15% in materials, watch it. But also understand that you, know, you spending all your time trying to get below 15% materials is, is probably not time well spent. If you could also then maybe train yourself, do something more efficient, uh, get your labor uh, below 40%. Now, if your labor is above 40%, which honestly, I asterisk this one because legitimately, if you're not making money, it's going to be labor. It's going to be labor. Half of all of our expenses, give or take, are basically devoted to this. So if you're going to spend your time on materials, it's wasted time. Spend it all on labor. Spend it on developing, coaching, mentoring your people, making them better, creating standard operating procedures, training to the standard operating procedures. If labor is above 40, you have some options here, right? You may not be pricing your work correctly. But if that's the case, if that's what you believe, that means your people are producing well. They're producing consistently and you can depend on that. You just need to price your work consistently to give them more budget for every job. You might be inefficient. I know a lot of people who are out there saying, you know what, I'm not making any money. I need to switch paint or I need to change the way I estimate. Might be, you might need to just get better at painting too. If you can deliver a proven product every time under budget, then you start messing around with pricing and some other things. But if you've got these wild variables where you're surprised on every job, whether something sticks or bleeds or what the finish is or whether it covers, you need to do some more work in the homework of the craft. 
put in that work first. You need a proven product before you do everything else. If, if your labor rate is all over the map like this, I will say this, most people, most business owners are kind of bad at this, which is they start looking at their employees and say, my employees suck. They're not making any money for me. They're all over the board like this. And I will then say, do they have a pay scale? Do they have a employee handbook? Do they have standard operating procedures? And if you train them to them standard, those standard operating procedures. And after that, do you sit down with them and coach them and develop them and show them a path forward and make sure they're hitting those things? Do they know what's expected of them? If the answers to any of those things are no, guess what? It's not the employee's fault. You need to do that. You need to be a better business owner. You need to take care of your people. There's more risk and more reward in being a trades business entrepreneur. Now, if you want that reward, you got to accept the risk as well. And the risk is investing in your people. So if you have not done any of those things, do not look to your people as the problem uh, with you making any money. Um, yeah. Just making sure I hit all my bullet points here. Okay. Am I estimating the correct price? <laughs> if gross profit is consistency consistently lower than 45%, you basically have to say, are you pricing your work consistently? Again, do you have a process for getting out there and doing that? Are your people producing consistently? Again, if it's things that they've never experienced before, you need to put a little asterisk by that job costing and say, all right, um, now this may be a good data point, but remember the things that we've never done before or do less of, the job costing is gonna be a little more variable than the things like wall jobs, which we do every day. Um, I will also say, uh, based on the price of stuff, if you're booked out more than, four to, more than four to eight weeks, it's likely you are over underpriced, excuse me. Um, and if you close more than 50% of your estimates, it's likely you are underpriced. So especially with um, uh, single person painting companies, people love to brag about being booked up a year or two in advance. Every economic indicator dictates that you have just discounted your work to a price where you're probably not going to be profitable or you're leaving so much more money on the table, uh, something like that. Goal for our company is to only have about a two to three week lead time, which is a scary razor thin margin for as many people as we have. But to me, economically, that tells us we're maximizing the amount we can sell these jobs for while actually providing a really good value to our client. And then also service, which is honestly, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't know where people find these clients that'll wait two years uh, for a job for them. None of mine will. In fact, if we can't get them an estimate in a week, they'll likely tell us to pound sand. So uh, for our people, I want to get to them quickly. And in a, in a world of Amazon, I want to be that one-click buy, which is, listen, if you want an estimate, we'll get it to you in a week. And guess what? We can start within one to three weeks on your job. So when you make that decision, we can be that thing right there for you. That's easy to do. So, all right. How do I schedule? How do I develop and coach my people? This is another thing you can get from job costing. Project budgets are one of the most fundamental things you can do to help uh, train your people, coach your people to understand what a good and fast job looks like. So here's a basic uh, math equation. People hear about job budgets all the time. Uh, we'll use a typical thousand hour uh, or thousand dollar job. If you sell a painting project for thousand dollars, how should you hold your people accountable to how long it should get done? Here's a simple math equation. $1,000 of revenue minus your estimated materials. Again, we'll just use 15% because you don't actually know how much materials you're going to use. In my company, it's between 5 and 15% normally. And because you don't exactly know that, I just use 15% uh, straight across the board. So we do this accurately. So we take off $150 from 1000 and then we divide by our revenue per hour goal. This can be anything you want. It can be $1,000 of revenue an hour. In my company, we keep it relatively low. I want my people to get wins. We do $60 of revenue an hour. So we basically take $1,000 minus materials divided by our goals. We want to make $60 of revenue an hour. That will actually tell us how many hours you need to complete this job in in order to have it technically profitable. Now, in the end, in the job costing, it'll be a little bit different because the materials may differ, uh, things like that. The, um, the labor cost of your people, you may have craftspeople versus apprentices, so that'll change. But honestly, that is the best thing you can do for your people. A $1,000 job in my company should take about 14.2 hours to complete, give or take. And then you can coach your people to say, let's make a plan. That seems to me like, you know, if, if you work uh, 10 hour days, that's about a day and a half. Let's figure out how we're going to get this done in a day and a half. How do I incentivize my people? <laughs> people ask me all the time about how do you pay your people? How do you do the pay raises? How do you structure bonuses, salaries, things like this? You can do um, 
with hourly employees, with apprentices, craftspeople, things like that, advancement is based on the success of projects. So we have a list of standards in my company. One of the standards is the low threshold is $55 of revenue generation an hour. If you fall below that consistently and you don't share our core values, that's gonna you're going to be dismissed from this company. We want you to produce at least that. That's the baseline. Now we have higher goals for people, obviously. But when you do this, revenue per hour. That's revenue production per hour. So you're tracking this by job. So again, when I say we did 113 jobs last quarter and we're gonna look for all the jobs that James was on, we can just look every one of them that he's listed there. We can look at the average revenue per hour for every job. And on the ones that he didn't do well, we can actually come up with a coaching plan. Like, hey, you know what? It turns out that trim jobs, you don't do as well as cabinet and walls jobs. So let's get you some more of those. Let's pair you with a master crafts person in my company who does that well. And let's get you coached up over this next three months. We don't use this as punitive, say, here's what you didn't do. Here's what we're going to withhold from you. We use it as proactive as saying, what can we do to coach and develop you in the future? Now, for salary and benefits people, this is where it gets super cool, which is bonus. Uh, all my people are bonus quarterly uh, in, in, uh, in my business. The bonus structure we've set up is everybody gets a percentage of the revenue for a job if it goes over 45%, give or take. So if it's a $1,000 job, and it goes above 45% gross profit, they get $1,000 times their bonusable rate, and that's what they get at the end of it. So each of these uh, rates are, are negotiated by the individual. We have base comp plans and things like that. Um, so a project manager example, I'll walk you through on this screen share here. A goal in my company is to produce $1 million of good gross profit work every year. So if you think about that, four quarters, we want them to produce about $250,000 worth of good gross profit work. An entry-level bonusable rate for a project manager in my company is 1.25%. That equals about a $3,125 bonus per quarter, give or take. Now, obviously, we coach them up to 1.5, and our goal for uh, 12 months from now is going to be $2 million uh, per year. That's our goal for everybody right there. So, But that's how we do it. Job costing will give you that. If it's above 45, guess what we do at the end of a quarter? We take all those jobs that... Somebody has project managed, we parcel them, parcel them out, add up the revenue times their bonusable rate, and that's their bonus. We just did this a couple of days ago. I turned in quarter four bonuses Friday for all of my people. So fun to do. All right, let's punch into BeLive. I know we got some uh, questions here. Holy mama, you guys got questions. I love this. Anthony Cade, awesome. Thought we were missing something. Absolutely, man. Time Station, again, um, it's a great thing, but it doesn't do all that stuff. Um, Anthony Cade, thanks for sharing. We have two people starting Monday. Boom. Way to go, man. Take care of your people. Break yourself and put forth an exhausting amount of effort towards them. You will get a return. Genuinely, empathetically care for them. And I know you're going to do it. All right. Galito Oliveras, how do you deal with technology barrier? I have a couple older employees that really struggle with this stuff. I tried your jump sheet and love it, but some don't seem to get it. So two ways to go about this. <laughs> doing the jump sheet, doing the project plan and punching in and out are part of the standards of the company. And if you do not do them, you could find yourself in an area to get dismissed. Now, we are not a punitive company though. Uh, we, we function on a, a baseline that we call API, assume positive intent. I got that from my kid's principal at their school. When a, when a kid's parent comes in screaming at the principal, my principal is an awesome guy. And he basically says, first API, Assume positive intent and then deal with it from there. Um, we have some older employees who are not as technologically savvy as other people. And you know what? We sometimes give them three months to a year in order to do this. And we gently coach, we gently prod, and we pair them with people who are good at it. And we approach it from a very optimistic point of way, which is we rib them a little bit like, come on, man. Like, we know you can use this stuff. Like we're here for you. Let us know how we can help. But uh, two people in my company, um, they're they're getting it. But we we really did set forth a goal in the next three months. Like, listen, everything else now is like super good here. Just just get on that dang phone. It's just like any. It's a sprayer is easier to figure out than the things we ask you to do on your phone. So super easy. Um, Rodrigo Francozzi, Nick, gross profit includes burden. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Labor includes burden, always. Larry Ash, how do you factor in your vehicle costs, maintenance, gas repairs, and vehicles paid through the customer? This is all overhead, Larry. We're not. We're talking about um, variable costs for a business. In any business, there's two main types of costs. There's variable costs and there's fixed costs. 
it depends how nerdy in accounting you want to get. I went to college for it. So I, we can go deep into certain, like, you know, the meaning of material can mean something way different depending on, uh, if you're an accountant or not. So here's the deal. Job costing is variable expenses. We only incur these costs when we have a job. Think about it. Your people don't work and you don't need to buy paint if you don't have jobs. They're variable. They only get triggered when you have a job. Your fixed cost, your vehicles, your shop, your insurances, those are all fixed. Whether you have work or not, you're going to pay for them. That's a whole other show. Likely it'll be the next show where we talk about fixed costs or overhead, something like that. But yes, uh, people always say, well, where do you, where do you account for this, this, and this? Listen, people. When you price your work, when I price my work, it includes everything. They'll say, well, how do you account for profit? How do you account for this? Listen, whatever you charge a client, it has to include all that stuff. That's why it's important to job cost to figure out if you have enough money, if you have enough gross profit at the end of this to then pay for overhead. How this typically goes is you have revenue, you minus out materials, you minus out labor, and you're left with gross profit. Your gross profit is what you have left to pay for overhead and your profit yourself, your true net profit at the end of it. So that's how we think about it. Another show, Larry, we'll get to it. Uh, Rodrigo, <laughs> come to Jesus moment. I have had tons of these things and I love them because they're usually positive forces. I can see people's faces drop when they actually job cost because they realize they've been feeding themselves this line of I'm the best. I charge the most. There's no way I could possibly charge more or do better. And when you come to account for it, really, they've given themselves a kind of low paying employee job kind of. So all right, Manuel Navarrete. Uh, thank you, Nick. Updating my job costing worksheet at the moment. I love it, man. Dave Pine. Oh, man, love Dave Pine. Um, follow Dave Pine on social media if you don't. He does a really good job with that. Also, one of the coolest logos in the business as well. After watching this show for a little over a year now and having been to one of your master's classes, it's refreshing to hear this show now, and it doesn't sound like a foreign language anymore. Yes, yes. One year, Dave Pine, great data point. It took me over a year to start doing this when I was introduced to it and digest it and feel it and know what these numbers. So when we talk about a 47% GP job, oh my God, was it material or labor? If it was material, what did we do? Did we do an incorrect product? Did we order a five instead of three gallon? I mean, you can automatically, it triggers things in your brain, not a foreign language. It did take me over a year as well too here. Uh, Aaron Gerwell, how do you find your decent help? Oh man, I have devoted my life to this. Here's the deal. You're three steps ahead of the questions you should be asking, which is before you look for people, are you a professional company? Do you have a proven product? Do you have a pay scale? Do you have an employee manual? Do you have a goal setting and review process? Do you have standard operating procedures? And can you train to those standard operating procedures? The next step of that is, do you honestly care for fellow human beings? If you want people to join you, to not bother you, and to just do more of your work for you, you will fail miserably. The way forward, people, everybody thinks about work differently um, after the pandemic, well, before the pandemic, but the pandemic accelerated it. Asking where you find decent people is not as important as asking, are you a good person yourself? And are you ready to take on and, and, and invest the amount of time, blood, sweat, and tears that it takes to truly have employees? And most people, it's no. But if that is you, uh, if that is you, Aaron, I will tell you this, Facebook jobs, Indeed, ZipRecruiter, um, and obviously word of mouth. But if your ad stinks, if it's just like everybody else's ad and you have nothing to offer these people, um, I wouldn't even bother. Jeff Furtaud, new construction, profitable for your company or waste of time? Interestingly enough, <laughs> I talked about this a little bit ago. Then we'll get to the last little bit of uh, uh, stuff here. Um, when it was me and a couple of craftspeople, it was our most profitable stuff because we're bangers. And I was out there super producing on these job sites, but they're complicated. But I have enough reps. I have 29 years in the industry where I can process a new construction job, roll with the punches, um, produce while around other contractors. Uh, since we've uh, since we've expanded with uh, apprentices and craftspeople, we don't do that well with them in a standard new construction economy. We do very well with our selected contractors who let us do our processes. But honestly, out there slugging it out with the rest of new construction painters, it's not a good fit for us, and we don't really do it anymore. Interesting data point: this last year was probably the first year in this company's history where we didn't do a new house, give or take. So, Bruce Bourgeois. What percentage of a job do you allocate for sales and project management? How does that factor into your 45? That's all overhead. 
Bruce. So I usually factor in, I, I like to keep my project management to about 5%, um, the, the assistance on that. So that includes the project manager and production managers, salary benefits and bonus uh, there. Sales, we're trying to come up with a better number for this because uh, last year was the first year where the majority of the estimates were not done by me. So it's a little, it's a little muddy, but uh, I think we're skating around that five to 7%, give or take uh, on there. But I'm going to have, uh, I'm doing my year in review this next Tuesday, where I actually go through all the numbers and actually get all those sexy numbers out of there. How many estimates did we do? How many did we win? What's our average job size? What was the cost of sales this year? Things like that. So Bruce, it's, it's give or take right around there. I can give you a good data point at another time if you like. So Kalito, thank you. Oh, Peter, how's it going from Australia? Good morning, Mike Danahy. And oh, Mike LaDuke, Mike LaDuke, veteran friend from New Prague, moved to Australia. We got a couple Australia people here. Uh, how do you cost a job in a different country, i.e. Australia? Free room and board provide. <laughs> oh yeah, man. So again, it's the same thing. Your, your labor and material inputs are gonna be just slightly different uh, on a different scale, but then you can also charge differently depending on where you are. Job costing, the percentages, what's good about job costing, the percentages are usually pretty universal. Um, so even if you're in downtown San Francisco or you're in North Dakota, you wanna keep labor to 40%. It doesn't matter what that labor costs, but you gotta keep it to 40%. So. Ah, Dominic on Instagram. Hello from Hershey, Pennsylvania. All right. All right, everybody. I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep trudging along here. We only got a slide or two left. So in, in summary, here's some things I've learned. <laughs> you must have accurate material and labor tracking. Like I said, in years past, it has fluctuated 30%, which means either somebody who's getting a bonus off that job is getting screwed or they're getting 30% too much bonus. Likewise, either I'm not paying enough bonus or I'm getting screwed. I'm paying people too much on bonus. It's not that you want to be punitive with your people. You want accuracy. Accurate numbers will give you, will give you good decision-making fodder. Burden is 25% on wages. You can ask all you want about FUDA, about SUDA, about MICA, uh, FICA, Medicare, Social Security, all that stuff. I'm not an expert. I know enough to have an accountant take care of all my payroll. What I do know is that if, when you're doing job costing, if you take hours times the rate of hour per that employee, that'll give you the total amount of wages, times that times 25%, honestly, that's gonna be within 1% super accurate in your job costing. As long as you keep that accurate, it's more important that you keep that accurate and you consistently do job costing than to say, you know what? I don't even know what to track. Do you put Medicare, do you put Social Security? And now I have to go find it on payroll, parcel it out for that employee, put it on there. If that makes you stop job costing, stop doing that. Just put in 25%, move on with your life. That's what we do. You must review weekly or by project. Make this habitual. I put hurdles in front of myself. Our Monday morning meetings we physically go through every job that has been completed and job costed from the week previous. It's usually five to 10 jobs, give or take. And yeah, that's what we do. We review every job. It's fresh in our head. Think about this. I just turned in a quarter's worth of bonusable revenue uh, to my accountant to pay my people bonuses. If we had to review all that at a quarter and we had to think three months ago, hey, wait a second. I didn't think Tina worked on that job. I thought she was on this job. We can look at time station. We can look at other things, but honestly, it's not fresh in our head. And then you're on a feelings-based discussion. We review a weekly because we have intimate knowledge, intimate thoughts about that job. We cross it off. We bless it every week and we move on. So then when we do our quarterly bonuses, it's basically, hey, we reviewed this every week. Do you have any questions? There's a 24-hour period where people can review and ask questions. If not, we sign them, we send them in, and everybody gets paid. Make changes ASAP. Uh, we have a principle called earn or learn in my business, which is... We will either earn money on a job, earn the trust, earn the thanks of a client or an employee, or we will learn a lesson. And when we learn a lesson, we will not repeat it. So we keep lists of these things. When you job cost weekly, you can look at that and you can learn lessons and change and pivot weekly instead of waiting until the end of the year saying, hey, wait a second, all my deck jobs, I didn't make a dollar on any of those deck jobs. So next summer we need to do it. We can look at those instantly, and when we review them as a leadership team weekly, we can find out that you know when we started a drywall division, we realized we we're selling almost every job and not making any money on it. What does that tell you? 
we are underpriced. So we started creeping our price up to the point where we were selling half. We still kept our people busy, but all of a sudden the gross profit started rising to the point where we were profitable on drywall jobs. Then we went forward. Now we have a baseline, but we did it every week instead of doing a year uh, advance, something like that. All right, folks, here's the most important thing. This is the unsatisfying part. You're going to have questions about this. I'm here to help, obviously. The most important part is just start. You're going to come up with all sorts of excuses. I don't know what gross profit is. Burden? How do I calculate that? Um, what if I don't have uh, you know, tax information for my materials? Just start. Just start. It's so important. Do not let perfection stand in the way of really damn good. This is the most fundamental thing you can do to change your life. When this knowledge was given to me years ago, it took a whole world of, I don't even know what I'm doing. What do you charge for stuff? How do you schedule? Where do you find employees? What should I be making on a job? How long should this take to hold my employees accountable? I did this. It took that whole world of chaos and just whoop, focused it down into, oh, here's the way forward. But it relies on you being consistent and having grit. All right. Let's go back to BeLive, see what we got for questions here. Travis Contreras, I know this is per job. Yes, per job. Um, uh, the next iteration of this is a weekly goal tracker where you take all the job costing from a week and you compile it weekly and then do a weekly gross profit material and labor percentage. I'll share that with you guys at another time. That's the next cool thing you can do. Does this extrapolate for the entire year or do you have to make the average at the end of the year? No, you do not. So actually, I'm going to... I'm just going to do this for you guys here. Let's get in here. Uh, pardon me for just a second here. I am going to, I'm going to share another screen and actually show you what the next level of this is. All right. So let me get back into BeLive, make sure I'm doing this accurately. I'm going to hide my presentation. I'm going to bring up my actual spreadsheet. We do this five, 600 times a year based on that stuff. And I'm going to find a very particular page for you. Tell you what, give me just a second here. This will be, help, this will be helpful and useful. All right, give me just a second here. And I'll show you how I take job costing and move it up to the next level and, uh, and, uh, and how we make larger decisions as a business owner based on that stuff. All right. I want to find a good example for you. Okay. This is what we call our weekly goal tracker, uh, for people on here. Um, this is basically uh, what we do. There's, there's different levels of job costing. There's individual job, job costing, right? Where we do this for every job. Then the next level is we do it per week. My production staff and coordinator puts this together every week and we review it. What you're seeing here on your screen is my weekly goal tracker. These are jobs split between one of my project managers and another. This is all of our employees' time here. So what we're doing here is they assign a revenue number per job. Now, all jobs don't finish in a week, right? But we have to figure out what percentage of the job is done, assign our revenue. Then we can figure out how much revenue did we produce this week. Then we can look over here to see how much our labor was. And let me get back over to that sheet here. And what you're going to find here is something really interesting down at the bottom, which is here's our materials for that week. We take all the invoices from materials. We compile them here and then we can figure out by that week, we job cost our weeks as well, not just the jobs to see how we're doing. This is all my employees payroll right here. I think it was $21,000, $22,000 that week. Uh, this actually tracks all the FICA, Medicare, everything else. And you're going to see something right here, burden. Look at that. I actually accurately, this is where I actually go through all my payroll and calculate. Here's the retirement plan. Here's the health insurance, FICA, Medicare, all this other stuff in there. Now in the bottom, we separate out the leadership team down there as well. Because uh, if we just do all payroll, it's going to take in the leadership team. The leadership team is on overhead. So what you're going to see here during this week, 
um, is we produced, our goal was $44,000, give or take. We produced $62,000. Our revenue per hour was almost $77 an hour. We had a 62.8% gross profit. This was a particularly good week. Materials were 9.5%. Again, so materials, our goal is 15. We actually had a pretty low week. Our labor was 27.7. Our field management only cost 3.8% that week. And our sales only cost 3.7% that week. So Bruce, when we were talking about percentages, if you produce more revenue, these percentages go down. These are not my goals. These are what we actually did on that week there. So yeah, that's basically that's basically how it works, give or take. So that's the next level of job costing. And I will get rid of that. Um, then the interesting thing is past that, it's up to you, the business owner, to do the next levels of job costing, which is then I do quarterly and then I do yearly. Your yearly, your job costing is your profit and loss statement. So pretty easy in there. So let me just see. All right. Make sure I'm not missing anything on IG. All right. A couple more comments here. A couple more questions. Raymond Bradley Ducoing. Do you send your people to another project if they finish up early? Absolutely. Absolutely. If we can schedule it, absolutely. Travis Contreras, or do they keep two of these running? One per year and one per job and add the jobs to the yearly. No. Um, so again, <laughs> I will show you. Um, job costing per job. This template that you guys see, this blue and green template up on my BeLive screen, uh, the screen we're producing here, that, that's an account for every single job. Now, when you get into goal tracker stuff, this this is our job costing thing. This is our goal tracker here. We compile that weekly. And then I take the weekly things. These are all in tabs. What you're going to see here. All right, this is getting a little complicated here. Let me get rid of this one. What you see at the bottom here, you see these numbered things here, 21, 22, 23. These are all the weeks. I have one big feeder sheet. That's the master, my dashboard, that every one of these weeks the revenue, the gross profit, the uh, material, the labor, the payroll feeds into a master sheet. And then after that, I start looking at that on a, on a larger level. And that's my purview like that. So yeah. see what else we got here. Uh, do not let perfection stand in the way of really damn good. Yes, exactly. That's, uh, that's the goal of my life, simplicity. So Bruce, this has been very helpful. Now go spear some northerns. Yes, I got a dandy yesterday. Uh, it's likely I had a, nah, it was about a 30 incher, which isn't a barn burner, but those things can be, you know, between seven and 10 years old. So a fish that has lived a long, great life and taken a long time to mature. And I'm grateful that me and my family will be eating it later. So uh, Travis Contreras, perfect. That explains it. I was wondering, good. <laughs> you should be a motivational speaker, Julio. Uh, yeah. I hope, I guess I am like this. I hope this motivates you to do this. I hope this, I hope this motivates you in a way to start job costing so you can help me change this industry. Peter Balfast, great info, Nick. Thanks for all uh, the info. Need to go back and look at this later details. It's 2 a.m. <laughs> yeah, hazy eyed 2 a.m. In, in Australia. So that's how it is. All right, people. I think we're going to call it quits for there. I really do appreciate this. Again, um, sometimes, uh, be live. This app I'm using to broadcast will give you my email address up there uh, in there. If not, as soon as this feed is done, I'm going to get in there. You can email me nick at nickslavic.com. Do not go through my website. Do not go through Facebook. Do not post your email address in this thing. I will not type in your email address and send these. You must send me an email. You have to make this easy for me. I am going to send you a world-class job costing template with most things already completed in it and give you an example, you must email me. If you get in the comments of this show and say, hey, Nick, here's my email address. Send me one. You will not hear from me. You have to make this easy for me, people, because I'm giving you something very valuable for free. And all I ask in return is a review of Ask a Painter. So I'll send you a link for that too when you ask for a template. And uh, just be patient with me. I do all this stuff in my free time. So uh, I probably will likely not send you these in the next 15 minutes. Most of the time between four and seven in the morning is my super productive time where it's nice and calm, cool, and quiet. We got the fake fire going in the war room, and I usually burn through those things and send people templates and things like that. Also, benefit of the template I'm going to send you, it's a Google Sheet, uh, and we can actually work on it together in real time. I can put my cursor on there. You can put yours in there, and we can work on it together. So legitimately, people, job costing is the secret to all this stuff. Everything you've ever wanted to know, everything that you experience as friction or a problem in your business can be solved by this. I dare you to prove me wrong, basically. 
Also, PCA, Painting Contractors Association. There'll be a link in this show. You want to hang out with the coolest kids in the industry, uh, people that I look up to and have given me the job costing information, shown me what a professional business is, taken me from a single person to where we are now. Those people are all going to be together in Orlando in March. And I would urge you to be there with us. So, all right, everybody, family time for me. Uh, we're going to go pike spearing, uh, and I believe there's even an open deer season uh, just uh, just east of here. So we're going to look into that, see if we can maybe take the take the boys deer hunting today. And uh, after that, thank you guys. I really appreciate this. That we I'm I'm watching the amount of viewers here, and this is pretty high. For job costing, I absolutely love this stuff. This is the key to what we're doing. I'm glad you guys have an interest. And as always, thanks everybody. Please, please, please like and share Ask a Painter. Like and share this show. Find more people like us and get them on here. So, all right, people, we'll talk to you later. Have a good weekend. Paint Ed Podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and is made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPaintEd.org. 